What's up? Game four, I'm ready. Locked and loaded. That sounds early. By the time you listen, this might be a little bit later, but I am headed to Oracle tonight for game four. ESPN called and said, do you want to go up and do some of that hoop stream stuff? So you know what I said, Srudy? I'm in. And I've never been. I've never been. I mean, I've been to San Francisco. Well, yeah, I, I just, I mean, if you think about it, I've only lived on the West Coast for a year. So what other times would I be going there? You know, for the most part, like I never was sent to NBA games. Like they would always talk about it and then I never did it. So it didn't happen. And then I was kind of like, man, I'd really like to get up there before that building closes. And then just really never know. Guys are busy. Dudes have stuff going on, draft, et cetera. But, uh, you're going to be sitting courtside and you print the shirt shirts. <laughs> uh, it looks like there's one seat available, but it is not going to happen that way. But I did ask and it was cool because, um, I guess, I guess there's a, I don't know, I think there's a, a viewing area in the stadium for, or in the arena for ESPN people. So I don't know if that's a suite or, or whatever it is. I'm very happy and very lucky. So I'm, I'm not downplaying any of that. So we'll do some of that stuff. I know Cassidy's involved. So Cassidy is one of my favorites. So pumped to work with her and yeah, get, get to San Francisco for a night. So Oakland, excuse me. That's a beating. I was reading about all this stuff. Like when you try to think about. You know, everyone from the outside can sit there and just go, oh, well, who cares? It's, you know, it's 11 miles away or it's this and it's not that big of a deal. And it's like, no, it's a totally, it's a huge deal. It's, imagine if a football team or a basketball team played in, well, actually the Giants and Jets. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But imagine if there was like a Hoboken team that had been there for decades and all of a sudden it's just, yeah, we're actually going to move to lower Manhattan. Yeah. You know, like the Yankees moved to the Meadowlands. Yeah, but I'm trying to like, you have to reverse it a little bit because there's an inferiority complex about it because of what San Francisco's become, what Oakland's become. I've gone through it all. You know, there's arguments. Wait a minute. They actually originated in San Francisco. It's like, yeah, that's not, that's technically true, but to call that their origin because they played all over the place. Like I think in 75, I was reading that when they played in the NBA finals, they got displaced from where they were supposed to play because there was, Another, I don't know if it was a concert or something else was in town. So the NBA team had to go find another place to play in the NBA finals, just to give you a sense of where the NBA was 40 years ago. So it's brutal if you're an Oakland fan, but at least the Warriors, like they funded that thing all on their own. So, you know, it's, it's a slightly different deal. And I know San Francisco is absurd. San Francisco scares me in general. Like I feel like San Francisco, when you look at all the pricing of everything, like I was there not that long ago and a friend who works at, well, maybe I shouldn't say which company it is. Anyway, we went to go visit him at his building and we were just looking around. I was asking him where he lives. He's like, I live, you know, north of the city. I take the ferry in every day. He's like, it's actually a great commute. It's great. And this guy's doing pretty well. And he's like, it's just, it's impossible to find anything, especially if you have kids because of how priced out everything is because of the tech market. And then you just start thinking, wait, so let me get this straight. Like, how does that work? He's like, well, if everyone here is in tech and everybody's getting startup money, and he goes, and then you look at like Lyft going public, he goes, that's like a thousand new millionaires overnight. And now that just raises the tides even more and it becomes even less affordable. But that's where I always kind of think, well, if you have a a thousand new millionaires, like where did that money come from? And one of my favorite things about tech is that I wonder, like, do you really want to run this amazing company and do something that's terrific? I think a lot of people do that have these startups. I also think a lot of people that have startups, it's a bit, and I've used this analogy before, it's like the fire Festival, where it's like, I want to have the stuff 
that is connected to being a startup person. I want everybody to throw me this funding money so that I can go get a Tesla and I can go get a Secondo and then everything's just image and we have to make sure we're starting up starting and then just this stuff goes bust. So kids grow up now not thinking about just being an investment banker. People that are just, I remember when I was 18 and I would be in college and I'd be like, what do you want to do? And they're like, oh, I'm going to be an investment banker. Oh, I'm going to be this. And we'd be like, what the hell are these guys talking about? Like I had no idea about that world. I'm like, I'd like to, uh, I don't even know really. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And then when I didn't realize, I realized I wasn't going to be as good in school. I want to be like a general contractor. And I was like, well, then why did I go take out a hundred grand in debt? But, um, I, I really think a big part of that VC thing is kids grow up and they just go, I want to do that. I want to be, and the VC side is separated from, from the startup thing. But yeah, that basically is my long winded version of saying, when I look at real estate prices like that and it just happens overnight, it scares the hell out of me. And you know what, Suri? I'm also starting to come around to millennials a little bit more. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. You're out of millennials for a while? No, I, I think I was like anything. There are things I agreed with and things I thought were ridiculous. But whenever you can label something that you like or don't like, it makes it that much nastier. That's just the way that it works. Um, but when I start looking through the debt that you guys are taking on, and it's just because universities keep adding different departments and administrators and all of these people, like college didn't just cost more because it became more expensive. It became more expensive because they decided to make it more expensive. It's a bit like when all the coaching salaries keep going up in college football and then everybody has a new facility every few years and check out this new thing and everybody makes a Clemson slide joke. But none of these things are necessarily mandatory to have, but you just feel like you have to keep up with everybody else. So colleges are basically doing the exact same way and they're sticking you guys with the cost. So now it's even harder to get financing for stuff when you don't have any kind of background financially. The pricing on real estate seems to have surpassed where we were at before the collapse. And oh, and by the way, colleges that used to cost 20 grand a year cost almost 50 grand a year. And the rate increase, like if you look at the percentage of cost increase from where it used to be to what it is now, it'd be the same as like a $30,000 car costing $200,000. It's, it's nuts. That's a little bit of exaggeration. So let me take that one back. But Whenever I hear young people complain, and you know, the whole college should be free, and this should be free, and this should be free. It's like, well, it's not free. Somebody's paying for it. Probably me. Um, that that annoys the hell out of me. There's this delusional young, everything should be free, because I saw Bernie, Span- Bernie Sanders speak. And you know, some of the stuff Bernie says, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And so I'm not trying to turn this into a political thing. But you guys are getting saddled with a really raw financial deal, and older people don't care. And that's not fair. I would agree. Um, I'm probably with you on the like, yeah, it can't just be free type deal, but yeah, I never understood. I've got, free. Bu- yeah, I've got, I mean, I've got buddies who, you know, at that age, like you don't even know how money works sometimes. And you're just like, yeah, papers. sure. Like, all right, yeah. like, I'll take this out. And now they're like hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in debt and it's like crippling your life. So because old people tell you, oh no, just borrow money. Like, oh, don't worry. And it's low, low interest rate. And you just have to go ahead and do all these things. And I remember being at those financial buildings and UVM. I remember one guy was like, yeah, you can just take out a personal loan, dude, and throw it onto your, your thing. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I just went and got five grand. The guy like bought a used Land Rover. I'm like, this is awesome. And then I ran it by my dad and he was like, yeah, no, that's, that's not going to happen. Not the best move. You're not going to try to keep up with everybody else. Um, but yeah, it's a little finance there to start the podcast. Boom. All right. Let's talk basketball. We're going to have Bobby Marks on in a second, but I do want to do speaking of finances, you know, those times when every day feels the same. Like you're on autopilot? 
how you're so caught up in your routine that you forget to take care of yourself? Well, Dollar Shave Club makes it easy to take care of yourself when that happens. Their quality products help me look, feel, and smell my best. I get everything I need from Dollar Shave Club without going to a store. I've been a Dollar Shave Club member for years and this really has gone on a long time. Ever since the founder came up to ESPN, said hello to everybody. I mean, he looked at me and goes, you know what? I don't love beards. Beards are bad for business, but I like what you're doing. But then they expanded. They got everything going. They own the bathroom, face cleanser, body wash, all sorts of stuff. It's a great gift for the female listeners out there. Get that automated box going to your dude uh, every single month. You can just make that happen. And as amazing as their shave stuff is, as we said, Dollar Shave Club is more than just razors. Everything that I use, body wash, shampoo, toothpaste, you name it, they have it. Dollar Shave Club has spent years developing, crafting, and refining their products. They're so much better than anything I've used before. And right now, you can get a Dollar Shave Club starter set for just $5. It comes with everything you need for a great shave, the executive razor, shave butter, and face cleanser. You're going to love it as much as I do. Get your starter set for just $5 at dollarshaveclub.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Ryan. Hey, Ryan, you sound a little under the weather. Now the voice is just shot. Uh, when we went to bed last night, we thought this might get postponed. And creatively, I definitely want to postpone it. But uh, I'm ready to go. All right, let's 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 talk a little bit about my favorite topic ever. And that is... Uh, the arguments for different basketball players. Because there are warring factions out there. There are zones of this. And i going to try not to be repetitive, but it's probably too late already. Steph was great in Game 3. 47 points. All within the flow. Forcing it, but efficiently forcing it. Was incredible. They couldn't play any defense. I've been over all this stuff. You can check it out on the Bill Simmons pod. Their defense was so bad in that game that even when they were flirting with making little runs, yeah, hey, let's get it to 6, let's see all these they could not stop Toronto. Toronto, at full strength, has a bunch of scoring options. And that will be the difference in this series. And I just don't know, like, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? We all know what it means when Durant's out. When Looney's out, his 20 minutes, that's a disaster. Because now you're playing Cousins more. And as good as Cousins was in Game 2, he was bad in Game 3. And I'm not saying, hey, I'm right about Boogie Cousins. Boogie was bad in Game 3 because this is exhausting for somebody that big to come back from that kind of injury, play with that kind of anxiety-filled minutes in Game 2, and then come back and get it for Game 3. He was shot, and I don't even blame him for being shot and looking bad. It just looked bad. So to break this all down, what does it mean? Like, it doesn't... We'll see what Clay looks like in Game 4. And if he looks okay, they have a chance. And I, st- I still think, from what I'm being told, that Durant will come back in this series, but it may have to be either in a 2-2 thing, Game 5, or maybe it's you know, he's really going to be hurt. If he doesn't come back and it's 2-2 and they go into game five in Toronto and he's not playing, that means I don't even know what expect, like what version of him are we going to get when he comes back uh, facing an elimination game. So at this point, I think I'd be surprised if he doesn't come back. It's some stretch here, but it, it may just only be facing elimination. So we shall see. But yes, there are TV people that drive me crazy. When they talk about Steph, I'm not turning this into some kind of Twitter thing, but I, I guess I'll never understand, like as stubborn as I can be about certain things, and yes, we all want to be right in life, but if you've been anti-Steph, you've been wrong the whole time, and you're wrong again. And when I hear people kind of frame arguments, like there's a few people in the business that'll do this thing, like make one good point, maybe two good points, but then they just keep adding point four, five, six, seven, eight as if those are also great points and they actually hurt their argument. The great Mike Tirico. The points you don't make, make the points you do make that much stronger. It's brilliant advice, and I've tried to listen to it, and I still haven't nailed it. 
But, you know, I've heard, whether it was guys on first take, um, different channels, different radio shows, it's just sort of out there. So, like, hey, I'm the doubt Steph guy, so I'm going to point out that, hey, he still has all-stars. Yes, Draymond. Boogie Cousins is not an all-star. He has an all-star game on his resume. He's not an all-star. He has multiple all-stars. Andre Iguodala, like, you gotta give me a break with this. He's a nice role player who's hurt all the time. Who, do you really trust him to make a shot? As great as the game two shot was, he's not somebody you would consider a shooter. And he was in an awful stretch prior to that shot. Sean Livingston, oh, he was part of that 2015 team where they won when everybody else was hurt in Cleveland. Yes. Sean Livingston isn't even close to the same guy that he was four years ago. So this then turns into, okay, wait a minute. LeBron's had to carry these teams. Let's look at this, because now the LeBron people, I didn't understand being pro-Steph makes you anti-LeBron, but that's exactly everything that's happened, is that we get at this list of players and be like, these are the guys I'm going to love forever, and these are the guys that I'm going to hate forever, and I'm never, ever going to deviate, no matter what kind of information I get. And if I do get information that tells me I'm wrong about Steph Curry, I'll just say dumb stuff like he has all-stars and former number one overall pick, Andrew Bogut. Are you serious? When you say, I, he, like, hey, number one pick, Andrew Bogut, do you think that sounds good out loud? Because it makes you sound ridiculous when you use those arguments to say that Steph actually has all of the support. When LeBron lost in 2015, he also had no support. So I don't think saying, hey, Steph has no support, makes you, like, I don't know how the translator works on that, where that's turned into, oh, and by the way, screw LeBron. But for LeBron's career, let's not turn this into LeBron hasn't had any support. He dictated terms to get everybody down in Miami. He came back to Cleveland, made sure dudes were there. The last year, he didn't have anyone. And this past year, with his injury and other injuries around him, it was a letdown. But it's not like LeBron has had no one along with him. Now, does that make it sound like I'm knocking LeBron? In today's version of these debates, it is. But it isn't knocking him. It's simply pointing things out. A pro-Steph comment should not be immediately like speed-laned into an anti-LeBron thing. The Harden people have chimed in as well, saying, oh, wait a minute, I didn't think you wanted players to force things and take a million shots. Harden people, log off until October, okay? Just stop giving us any content. And then, I don't know, Westbrook people? Like, I can't believe those guys are even saying anything. So, yes, do I, am I a Steph Stan for the kids out there? Yeah, I'll support the guy that had 47 and looked awesome in Game 3, knowing that other people have also had to carry teams by themselves. And yes, this is an incredible team, and that's why they've been to five straight finals. Not just him, but he's the thing that makes it go. And it's a bit repetitive, but I'm just sorry. Like, I feel like if I watched some of these TV shows and they were on in the 1700s, there'd be a guy in, like, 1774 who would say, George Washington, I don't know, didn't really do much in that French and Indian War. Um, you know, shouldn't have gotten that post. And kind of sought power without you know really asking for it so is he truly a leader he blow 500 in finals shopaholic yeah you know and then like 1790 something would roll around when the country's got things picked up they'd be like ah i don't know he's still four and five in the finals man like i don't, I don't really know if this guy's all cut out for everything everybody's saying for him that's what i think people would do if we had debate shows about historical figures and it were on for 15 straight years from the mid 1770s or maybe 20 years to the mid 1790s and there's this week's history lesson. Wow. Yeah. So I'll say this. I the, the thing that annoys the hell out of me is 
because Steph didn't win like the arbitrary award of finals MVP four years ago, all of a sudden that's like something that he needs on his resume or else he'll never be like considered in this great category. Like that's absurd to me. First Kellerman off, led first take. Kellerman led first take with he doesn't have a finals MVP. He so should Kellerman's have won the finals MVP that year. Like I, I don't, I don't care what anyone else says. If you look back on it and go watch those games, and I have, it's comical. That he, but in the moment, the writers got too caught up. And I've seen some of the writers talk about this since then that voted for it. And I'm like, oh, my God, you guys. And I, we, I wish you didn't like Steph to make this better. So I don't want to like, oh, here we go. Rosilla's on the Steph thing again. But this isn't even a Steph thing as much as it's about just the way we talk about players. So I could not agree with you more when you go, hey, and yes, I've disagreed with Kellerman a lot lately. <laughs> it's just he's he's decided he's not a Steph guy. So he brings up the surrounding talent. He brings up the no finals MVP. And then what did he do? He brought up, um, he said that game three was the only finals game he's ever really stepped up. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do with that. I don't, I would be very, it would be angst on my face if I were on the set with him would be really funny. So, I mean, I would have to laugh at some of that stuff, but I'm glad you brought up the 2015 thing because that is, that is anti Steph 101. So I interrupted you a little bit. I just feel like we're going to spend too much time praising this guy. No, and then the other thing that I, I didn't understand was, you know, kind of, I, I felt like people were kind of dog and boogie, like you said, after his game three performance, because you can't, like, I'm not as, I'm probably with you. I'm not a, I'm not a huge boogie fan. Um, I was super impressed with what he did in game two, but the idea that, like, he, oh, same old boogie in game three because he didn't show up when he's been injured for an entire season the year before, basically, and then coming off another injury and his cardio is probably terrible. I just don't understand how you hold that against him. He's playing minutes that they didn't expect him to ever have to play. Um, and nobody, nobody's been more, right. No one has been more anti boogie than I am. And I've been right about it. I'm sorry. Like I've done some of these segments and I've had people call me immediately from the league going, how are you the only one that seems to figure this thing out? I go, I don't know. It's, it's mind boggling to me. And it just proves again, once again, like I just don't think many guys watch as much as they say they do or they don't pick up on these things. Boogie wasn't bad in game three because he's DeMarcus, the, he, it wasn't, hey, here's the bad version of DeMarcus Cousins. You're absolutely right, Surdy. It was the exhausted, I mean, man, what do you guys, what do you expect to get out of me on this kind of quick turnaround when he had to play that many minutes because of the loony injury? And he was awesome in game two. His defensive rebounding alone saved, saved Golden State when no one else could even take a shot for getting make one. And their defense was really good against Toronto too in that whole thing. But, you know, a pro Steph thing is not an anti Kawhi thing. This Kawhi run is awesome. I think it's more of a reminder than some sort of breakthrough for him. But it's clearly his team versus the San Antonio team that wasn't his team, even though he won finals MVP. You know, I'm not going to turn this into like, oh, Giannis actually isn't all that. I mean, that's that's just what happens now. What is your, not legacy, but your immediate standing in the perception of you as a player in this league changes after every playoff result. And if you don't make it to the end, we feel like we want to knock you down and replace you with other guys. Like if the top five teams in college football lose in the same week, it doesn't mean that the number one team automatically has to be number six coming into the next week. Now it depends on who they lost to and how they lost and all those things. And I feel like that's what we're doing with these NBA stars. And there's some I like, some I don't, but these these arguments where you just decide for 10 years I'm never going to be swayed and I'm going to use really dumb stuff to make a point, no, 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 that's that's weird to me. You know, I was kind of surprised by we were texting about this. I got a little turmeric going here, by the way. Oh, nice. Uh, I'm going to just say this now. I think the whole turmeric thing is overrated. 
You know, it's the, the anti-inflammatory. It says it. It's the lead ingredient is turmeric, anti-inflammatory, all this stuff. I'm sore all the time, and I'm downing turmeric, and it's not. So I don't know if – I don't think turmeric was going to be a sponsor. I'm not anti-turmeric. If we're doing overrated, properly rated, underrated, turmeric overrated. I think most of that stuff is kind of BS. Like Ginger the, works. The, yeah, you know, there's like this remedy that I, you know that that my wife will make. Maddie, she'll it's it's like you know if you have a cold, it's it's what is it? It's uh, chili powder, ginger, oh. like all this whole concoction. It's like voodoo juice or something. And I'm like, it just tastes bad, and it makes me honestly feel worse. So like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like now, now like my mouth is on fire, and I have a cold. Like cool. It's like no, nah, it's supposed to be good. It's cleansing. It clears you out. I'm like it doesn't though. It really doesn't. Clears me out. Like what are we talking about? Um, Just, you know, it clears your nasal your, no, your no, nasal no, no, passage up. Blah, blah blah blah. No, there's other stuff to, to really clear you out. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, that's. I mean, the kind Go on of a juice definitely. cleanse for a couple of days. What's up? Yep, juice cleanse it out. So I think we nailed it. I think we have everything we need to talk about on that one because I don't want to keep belaboring the same point. Like, oh hey, Rasilla did a pro Steph uh, rant for like five minutes, but um, some of the guys that responded to what I was talking about on Twitter. I mean, just talk about not getting it. Like, it turned into, how can I defend my superstar? And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm actually going at some of the people that are on TV that are making bad anti-Steph arguments. And sometimes he hasn't been good in playoff games. He's had a couple this year. And it makes you appreciate LeBron that much more because LeBron's bad playoff game is still insane. And Durant is kind of at that level, too. And if you want to say Steph's behind those guys, I'm not going to fight about it. I'm not. But, but here's here's the funny thing to me go. is right. that in game in game what was it uh, in game two, um, Steph you know obviously comes out and it's like oh he's not feeling well he's taking those gel things and I saw ever, a bunch of people on Twitter just being like here we go again here come the excuses for Steph and it's like the same people right who are anti Steph then Steph goes off you know what was that like second quarter into the third quarter on that twenty one nothing run that the Warriors had where they essentially saved the entire series flipping like a double-digit deficit into a double-digit lead in a, you know, in basically the blink of an eye. And Steph is a huge part of that. And yeah, he, he, he didn't have a great last five minutes of the fourth quarter. So all of a sudden we forget that stretch where he, he, where he literally saves their season. And because he didn't have a good five-minute stretch at the end of the game and they still won, that's some sort of thing where like, he's not a closer. He can't do this. He can't do that. I just like, what? It's, it's, it's a point where we're only picking out the, th- the bad things that we see in his game. We just forget all the other good stuff that he does. Are we listening to too many anti-Steph people? Because it's really funny how, you know, I heard the Yahoo writer that was on with you and then Van Pelt went off on it and all these different things. And I think some people were like, who are you arguing with? Who, like, who is saying these things about Steph? And like, his own peers say this stuff about him. Yeah, Iggy, I've already... Iggy had, to, had to say something after the game because he obviously felt it was that ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is. Because I hear plenty over the course of a season where guys... Other other players are really jealous of that dude, and they think he's some. Not all, but look, it's the pettiest league in the world. Is it pettier than international soccer? Yeah, for sure. Right? Because there's still some separation of land here that we're talking about with different club teams and different leagues and all that stuff. But speaking of, that Saturday morning international Twitter deal is really rough content. Like, it feels like... It's a little Drakeish, where if you went with three of your buddies to like their alum game or something, you know, alumni game, or I guess you call it homecoming. I don't know if people still call it that anymore, but they do. So three of your buddies went to Michigan, and then you decide to buy a hoodie, and then you're screaming at the refs like a quarter in and three beers in. 
like you went there and you care that much. I feel like there's a lot of over-the-top caring about some. I know you're not one of those guys, Roma, but there are other people in the media that are doing – it's like, yeah, that soccer thing in the morning is actually really fun. Get up, you get to drink, and it's not you're not like a pariah. Like, hey, why are you at Murph's Tavern drinking canned beers at 7 a.m. on Saturday? <laughs> oh, well, just hanging out. But if soccer's on, then there's no stigma with it, right? Uh, there's so, a few people that I've noticed that have just come out of nowhere with, out of, with jerseys and hoodies and scarves, and you're like, oh, like, okay, so you're a big Liverpool fan now, huh? Like, this this, yep. this wasn't like this a year ago. Now oh, no, so now you're into Tottenham. Okay. Yep. All right, interesting. I have, I have, I'm not gonna sit here and name names, but I know exactly what you're talking about. We should do a name names podcast. <laughs> that should be the entire podcast. We just call it name names. We're like, this guy said this. I think like, people I'm, just have FOMO. That's what it is. Like they have sports FOMO. Is it? Like soccer's like this. I think soccer seems like maybe I'm biased. I, I am biased. So I'm not even gonna say I'm maybe I'm biased. I am biased. I think soccer's awesome, and I think. There is a, a big part of the population that's like, I don't want to miss out on what this, this cool, like, new young thing is that everybody's really into, and it's international, oh my god, and like, you know, they just get really into it all of a sudden, and I'm, I'm, it's cool in one aspect, but it's also like, alright, so you're now you're just like this diehard, you know, Reds fan, all, of, all you know, overnight, and you have literally no affiliation to the club, and you're tweeting out pictures of Mo Salah and whatever, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, there's a, cause I was in, um, Cherry Creek, home away from home, over the weekend, shout out to Matt Bushman, Toronto Blue Jays, and my man Elvis Luciano. But that Saturday morning, I worked out, no big deal, and shout out to True Fit, Cherry Creek, for hooking it up. I also saw Captain Sandy at the Halcyon, below deck, another shout out. This is one of the weirdest uh, 30 seconds I've ever Yeah, a lot of shout outs. Yeah, a lot of shout outs. Like, hey man, this isn't spring break. Pick it up. But, uh, I went over to Cherry Cricket, grabbed myself a little wrap, and I started watching the game. And I know it was a boring game by boy, but I terrible you, game. Yeah, you understand that I've full blown accepted this now, going back a couple of years. And I'm I was the perfect example of jerk anti soccer guy. I own it. I am ashamed of it, but it just was guys of a certain age, especially from the Northeast. You played other sports growing up. If you didn't like soccer, you hated it. I've always said it's not so much soccer, it's soccer guy. But now soccer guy has not transformed into guy that's really hypersensitive about it, guy that's always dressed for a scrimmage. It's this mass movement to pretend like you've cared about these outcomes for decades when it feels like it's been a few months. And as I was eating and watching the game and scrolling through social media, I'm trying to think of like, I'll use this example because we like him and he didn't do it, but it's like, why is Andy Staples wrapped up in a Newcastle scarf? Honestly, I would respect Newcastle though. See, it's not like, that's a a smaller club. That Um, might be my club. You should because they're, they've got a decent history, but they're, they're not like, it's not a bandwagon thing if you're a Newcastle fan. That's what I'm going to do then. But then they're going to suck and it's not going to be as much fun. Mm, no, I'd buy, I would buy stock in Newcastle right now, to be honest no with kidding. you. No kidding. Like, remember when Van Pelt became like a Stoke fan? He just loved talking about Stoke for a while there. And that's the only team I think he knew in soccer just because it was Stoke and he liked the name. I think that went away. Since, get re- I, since got relegated, unfortunately, though. There had to have been something there. But yeah, that's sack. I don't know if it's condescending. It's It's shifted from insecure to overbearing and fake. That's where it's gone. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I would say about some of the soccer, soccer stuff that I see. But hey, if you were there since 
13, 14, who am I to argue? That might even be. (laughs) (laughs) Might be a little bit sooner than that. Let's talk to Bobby Marks. But first, finding a new job is a lot of work. What if you had your own personal recruiter to help you find a better job? Now, ZipRecruiter's technology can do that for you. Just download the ZipRecruiter job search app, let it know what kind of jobs you're interested in, and its technology starts doing the work. Hey, security for famous people, um, I'd like to be a surfer. Is there anything about like a part-time taco deal with a great location? You may be able to find those things. The ZipRecruiter app, I haven't looked those up yet, so don't hold me to it. The ZipRecruiter app finds jobs you'll like and puts your profile in front of employees who may be looking for someone like you. If an employer likes your profile, ZipRecruiter lets you know, so if you're interested in the job, you can apply. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated job search app. And based on third-party surveys, seven out of ten people who found a new job on ZipRecruiter increased their salaries. These were the results of a 2017 U.S. survey of over 500 ZipRecruiter users who got hired for a job they found on ZipRecruiter. My listeners should download the free ZipRecruiter job search app today and let the power of technology work for you. Don't wait. The sooner you download the free ZipRecruiter job search app, the sooner it can help you find a better job. I don't want to call you Bobby Sean Marks, although that would be a pretty, uh, that'd be a compliment right now, man. I, I ran into Sean Marks at the combine last year, tried to say hello. He clearly was like, why Why would you want my phone number? Like, why do you think I would talk to you? I was like, yep, okay, no problem. And then I saw him this year, and he couldn't have been friendlier. So he just seems to be a happier guy, and it makes sense because they've done an, or just a remarkable job of turning this thing around. So I'm not – it's not a critique or a compliment either way. He just seemed like a happier dude. Or maybe he was like, I'll be nicer. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I'm sure he's in a better mood than he was two or three years ago, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No, he's done an awesome job. He's done an awesome job, so it's almost like step one – creeping into step two and we'll see what step three is this summer so just to report the deal um the nets sending alan crab and his contract which just made people lose their minds when the cap went up the 17th pick this year and then a lottery protected 2020 first rounder they get torian prince back to make it all work and then a second rounder a little bit later so when you're doing this kind of deal let's just start actually before i do that let's just start with once you saw the initial reaction all the different things you thought of I thought Woj when he called me was joking. <laughs> so my initial reaction was he, you know, he called, you know, the, the early June agreed to a trade doesn't happen. Right. No I kidding, mean, I think right? I look back, I look back on like my notes. I think like Ursan Ilyasova from like four years ago was like the earliest uh, agreed upon deal in June. So it, it doesn't happen, especially two weeks away from the draft. So that was my initial response when Woj called. I said, you're joking, right? He goes, no, I need to, I need the numbers. <laughs> like, okay, here we go. And so my initial reaction is that Brooklyn now is in, now they're, now we're talking. They, they basically have, have gone and bought some chips to go to the table to, to get into the card game here. And, you know, they were in position already to get a potential max guy, but now we've, we're talking about two. I know they like, you know, it, it would get lost in it. They like Torian Prince a lot. They really do. I think he'll fit. Probably at the four for uh, for Kenny Atkinson replace like a Damari Carroll there, um, and I don't I get two first round picks. I don't think it's too steep, um, especially it's lottery protected and it's protected for three for three years turns into two seconds. Um, now it's a matter of what that that cap space turns into. You know, we, we know, we've heard the names. We all know the names out there, and uh, I think the interesting thing, Ryan, is that there, there's if there is that notion that it is a Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving pairing. Um, there's still a little work to do. They're they're not quite there yet to get both players. Um, that they would need to move, um, uh, you know, 
either that first round pick that they have at 27 or another player here. So when you're doing this kind of deal, and look, Alan Crabb was one year left on that deal, and it was it was just uh, like eighteen, what eighteen five, something like that. Yeah, um, eighteen, and that's and that's Brooklyn. You know, they're the ones who signed them to that offer sheet too. Yeah, right. And then he goes to Portland, <laughs> stays at like Portland, matches it, and then was like, wait a minute, do you guys really want him? Because we'll trade him back to you like a year later. So that whole thing, it was like three different versions of regretting the same contract, which is hard to do. That almost sets a record. Uh, what is it like though when you when you don't know? And for all of these teams, like we can talk about the rumors, the strong rumors, the stuff you hear, the stuff I hear, and I'm still not sure if anything I would put in the definitive, like this guy is going here and it's absolutely going to happen. The Kyrie to Brooklyn thing has picked up more and more, which I think is really funny because everybody thought like it was this Kyrie Durant thing to the Knicks. And then you start to hear that Kyrie, again, this is the Kyrie stuff, but I'd heard like Kyrie's not sure if he wants to go and be second fiddle to a Durant. And you're like, well, okay, so we're doing this again. But that uncertainty of we have chips, we can pull this off, but there's a, there's still a very good chance you're not getting the two max guys that you want because that's just the way it works. Uh, you know what? And it isn't just talking to people close to that, that team yesterday. They looked at the teams that have cap space this summer. Um, you know, there's 10 right now that could increase to probably half the league, maybe 15. Out of those 10 teams, you know, the four in, you know, the four New York and LA, uh, Dallas, Indiana, you know, uh, Chicago, Sacramento, New Orleans, they looked at Atlanta as the only team right now that could, this could change come early July when the market settles. The only team that was willing to take back unwanted contracts. And they thought that the market was going to get flooded with possibly a team like the Clippers maybe moving that Gallinari contract down the road, um, some other teams there, and they needed to to jump to the front of the line and get something in a, an agreement three weeks in free agency. And that does not uh, guarantee they will get a Kyrie Irving or a Kevin Durant or one of these big guys, but they felt like they needed to kind of get their house in order before free agency started and not kind of get lapped by one of these other teams come July first. Okay, all right. So that's that's actually brilliant. So I'm glad you brought that point up. I did not cue you up well enough to get there, so you just did it. So you're a pro. But <laughs> when we've talked about this before, what was it? Was it Dwayne Wade or LeBron that came to you guys when you were with the Nets and you had cap space and they just wanted to meet Jay Z and had no interest in signing? Oh, well, it was Bosch and Wade. The it was combo. Bosch and Wade. <laughs> they came together to meet Jay Z. Well, they're separate. They had the same agent, but they uh, came separate. Who was the agent but- again? Um, Henry Thomas, rest oh, okay. in peace, yeah. CAA. But yeah, and 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 um. I think Bosch was one had a film crew and the other came late, so it didn't it didn't start well. <laughs> didn't start well. Okay, so leading up to that year when you had that kind of cap space, are you and Rod, are you guys in the front office going, okay, this gives us a chance? But there's like that's what I would imagine with the Nets. Like we can feel good about it, and then I think in the day it turns into man, they're getting Kyrie, and then who else? You're like, okay, I mean, if it happens, that's great. But the Miami thing in 2010 is not just rare; it's it's once in a lifetime ish. It really is. So, how do you deal with we're doing this to put ourselves in this position, but we still don't know, and then ultimately striking out on it? So, like, I, I think that's always an important part of this to remind everybody. And as you point out, we have a really unprecedented number of teams with major max slots here. Well, you're right. I mean, it's a, it's a high risk. I mean, back in 2010, we had probably two deals lined up with, um, 
I think one of them was with Oklahoma City that we could have cleared room if we would have gotten the, the go-ahead that one of these players was coming. Um, we would not have done that deal on June 6th, <laughs> you know, with the uncertainty here. But the the sense is that the, the Nets have a, a good comfort level, not a guarantee that there is a player coming here. Um, so that's and they and they that they looked at that Alan Crab contract, um, Ryan, as almost like dead weight here. That you know, even if they don't get somebody, and I know you're moving to first a 17 and a protected, they're still able to go out and you know clear that money, um, you know, fill out that roster here. They did not see him as part of uh, part of that rotation, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a high risk move. When you, you know, we're, we're three weeks away from free agency. There haven't been any meetings here um, to go out and, and get something done. I, I've never seen it happen before. I really haven't. I mean, you see these moves at the end of June, right around the draft. I've never seen something agreed upon this early in, before free agency even started. No, it's a great point. Because when I saw the tweet come down, I went, wait a minute. Like, wait a minute, June 6th? Like, this is this is really early for this. Um how does it work when a team knows or thinks they know with the agent, with the client? Well, I mean, you're, I mean, most of these meetings already happened. You know, the back, the back channel in here. I mean, a lot of these meetings happened in, in during the pre-draft camp. I mean, I know it's kind of taboo from the league office, but you can meet with an agent if you're talking about a player on your team or a draft prospect. And in, 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 in the course of the talk, you know, Kyrie Irving comes up. <laughs> I mean, it just, that's, that's how it goes. I mean, I think we all laughed about what, what Mitch Kupchak and the Lakers basically didn't do anything until what, July 1st? Because they didn't want to bend the rules. I mean, everybody's doing it. Um, so you have a, you, you already have a, a comfort level that, I mean, you're, you're, you're not going to go into one of these deals just, you know, just to do it without a, would a, would a, without a, either of a, a, a phone call or, a conversation, not with the player, but certainly with 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 the agent here. So, um, it's it's you know, as I said, it's kind of high risk poker. But you you basically kind of you do your background before you go out and do something like this. You are really convincing me this thing with Kyrie is at least done. But they didn't need to do this deal for Kyrie. They needed to do this deal for the next guy, right? Well, you're right. I mean, they didn't. They, um, you know, they would have had like 29 million in room. They could have just waved Alan Crabb and stretched his money out and, and gone out and signed Kyrie and, and bring back D'Angelo Russell if you wanted to. So no, they they didn't have to do this move. This move was not done for Kyrie Irving. <laughs> this move was done for Max Slot number two. Is it Kevin Durant? Is it Tobias Harris? Is it one of those other you know other other players here? So you're right. I mean. Um, they were in a position already to have him to add a max slot with D'Angelo Russell. Now it gives him the opportunity to either keep Russell or, or add a uh, add a second guy. So, by the way, Russell and Kyrie, that's not going to work. I don't see it. I mean, you, you look at the, the strength of the Nets, Ryan. I mean, it's their backcourt, right? I mean, you look at. Uh, can we even talked about Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, guys like that. Like, where does, you know, you bring back, you sign Kyrie and you sign Russell. Like, where does Karis LeVert all of a sudden fall in? Like, where, like, where does Spencer Dinwiddie, some of the, some guys, some players like that? So I don't, I, I mean, I, I know it looks great on paper, fantasy world, but I don't, I don't see it on, I don't see how that works on the court. Yeah, I don't, I don't at all. And that's, that's not me just being, oh, hey, you're anti Kyrie or, you know, D'Angelo's start of his career was was kind of rough, and 
you know, even I thought at the beginning of this year, I wasn't quite sure. And he's had a heck of a year. But there's so many of their, I don't say, like D'Angelo Russell's a ball dominant player and it worked this year. But there were times Levert looked like he might be like, hey, in two years, who's going to be the best net? I, I think you could make an argument for him. Dinwiddie was terrific at times too. So, uh, it also can be where a team goes, yeah, yeah, that's great. All these guys are really nice. We just got Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Like everybody can, everybody else can worry about it a little bit later. Like if Karis Levert's off the ball now or coming in off the bench, like he'll just have to go ahead and deal with that or learn how to make more threes. Um, so based on, you know, the Chicago stuff and everything happening, do you feel like there's one that's the most definitive of the rumors on the free agent stuff? And I know you probably get sick of being asked this all the time, but basically that's all anybody wants to hear any answers to, even if they're wrong. They just want to hear them. Well, I mean, I don't know about it definitive, but I, I mean, I think the one guy to, who's not a free agent is to, is to keep an eye on is DeMar DeRozan in San Antonio. And oh, wow. I, you I you could switched see, it up. I know I did. I threw a little curveball there. But uh, I could see DeRozan being on the market come – the first week of July here and almost being as a free agent that a team that the almost like a free agent, but under contract for another year here. And then, you know, San Antonio going out and creating some room. And I, I, I've heard this from three different people that they have circled Bojan Bogdanovic as their target there. So, um, and to do that, you'd have to move a contract like the Rosen expiring. Um, I don't see an extension in play for him. Um, so I think that's kind of one of the things I'm kind of interested to see if that kind of that, that plays out. Is DeRozan, ironically enough, because it's his teammate now, but has DeRozan entered prime Rudy Gay territory where the numbers go up, but it almost seems like every time he's on the court, he makes the team worse because we have years of data that say this. And on top of it, you know, I know we're more sensitive to a bunch of different things now, but he seems to not understand the profession. Well, I mean, he's a twenty-eight million dollar player as your number two option, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the reality of it, and his age and he's is getting up. up there, right? Yeah. So he's got a player option for twenty twenty-one. I mean, that's a big number to opt out of. I mean, I don't see that number increasing as you know as he gets older here. So I think it. it I mean, hey, he, there were great moments, and, and give him credit for what he did in Toronto. But I mean, come on. This team, this Toronto team, is different without him um, on on the court. I think you kind of saw. Some evidence of that in San Antonio here, so I think he's a number, a good number two option if you have a strong number one. Who, if he calls you, if you're the GM of a team tomorrow, Bobby, and a G, another GM calls, who's the guy that when he calls you makes you the most nervous about presenting a trade to you? Oh, I mean, well, I mean, before we did the Brooklyn deal, the Boston deal would have been Ainge. <laughs> I mean, that's who it would have been. Now he just but I think I, fi- I think I figured out Danny and Mike Zarin and that crew up there. So I don't. I, you figured I, I, him I, out. How, I figured him figure out, out fi- about him. I figured him out six years later. I, you know, it's funny. I never told this story, but I mean, I have to, when we did the deal with uh, the Celtics, Zarin, Mike Zarin was a piece of work. He called me and he said, "Hey, um, what, what size is your uh, what size is your ring finger?" And I said to him, what are you talking about? He goes, well, you know, when you win that championship, you know, like, you know, they, you know, they got to fit you with these nice rings and stuff. And I, as soon as he said that, I said, oh, shit, we're screwed. You know, like, oh, my God, Mike Zarin's already, like, you know, buttering me up here. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, how Danny and, and those guys operate. Um, Wait a minute. So, was, okay, all right, <laughs> that part of the story. So keep going, though, because I know you've told – there needs to be a 60 for 60 on this thing. Um, well, there should. I mean, like, right, we, well, I think once it, once we get – 
through through it maybe another couple of years that the, the background of like the whole um you know i mean it's we've talked about it a lot but the background of how it started where it went the night of the draft and you know that next day um you know, basically we couldn't do the deal until July 6th because in a moratorium, like there was guys in the deal that we didn't like originally it was like Marshawn Brooks wasn't in the deal. Reggie Evans was, there was like a lot of different missing pieces here, but yeah, I mean, I think eventually it would be, I think if we all agreed to it to do a 30 for 30 on the Brooklyn Boston trade, I think it would be, I think it would be a fun piece. Would Billy King agree to do it? Well, that's probably the wild card. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Billy – I don't know. And I saw Billy in Chicago and stuff, and, hey, we're four – I mean, that deal happened in 13, so, shoot, we're six years past it. Um, you know, it, it didn't it didn't work out. I'll, I mean, I'll give you this, though. I'll give you this. When it happened, nobody realized how bad it was in the moment. No you, one. And that's, that's, the okay. tra- that's where you have to take – sometimes you take a deep breath. And you don't realize how bad it is in the moment. And I always said, like, you always have that sense of arrogance because you always think you're going to be good. Like, you never think that you are going to be like all of a sudden the the, the next year that ownership says, well, you know what? You know, we're not going to pay a hundred million dollars in a luxury tax. We're only going to pay twenty. And now you have to take a back seat, and things certainly change, and that ch- changes the course of how what your roster could uh, could look like. And I've always said that the swap picks were the killers and you know, I my only regret and I know we're kinda of off the um off the beaten path here is that I never I was never the bad cop in the deal. I think you always always I think you always need somebody in the office who's that bad cop who kind of puts the, the, the stop sign up here and says like, Well wait a minute, you can't do that and I think we all probably were looking out for the best of our own future <laughs> probably our own next contract uh in that but yeah i mean we we all know what 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 transpired there yeah because i remember when it first went through and i was in brooklyn i think um because i was doing the draft i was like wait a minute what and then i think i remember the first thing i thought of was like wait gerald wallace is toast like they're gonna take on that contract and, now and nowadays that contract's not even bad. It was like three years, thirty million, and that's not even a. I mean, now back then it was bad is, though because yeah, back, I mean he aged, he aged as quick as any player. Because I loved Gerald Wallace when he was right. I mean, I it was like, look at this guy. You know, I remember early on, I'm like, man, this is great. Like, I love this guy's game. And then it was over, and the number was still pretty big for that market. But then I started kind of digging into it. I go, this could be really bad, but I don't know. Will it be? So I just, for all the ways that we've talked about it, I know you and I have talked about it before, but I love every little extra tidbit about that trade. That night, day of, the 24-hour cycle of it, it wasn't these guys are the dumbest people ever running a basketball team. It was just, huh, that's a lot of draft picks. We'll see what happens. It was way more of that, to be fair to you, which I think you would agree with. So, Well, yeah, I mean, I think you look back on some of the articles that were written, I mean, that were, it wasn't like it was like, you know, a landslide kill. <laughs> and I think there were certainly people split on, hey, this could work, and but if it doesn't, this is kind of where we're heading towards, and it headed towards um, what we saw happen the last couple of years. Hey, thanks so much for your time. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs, and uh, I'll be seeing when I come back to Connecticut for the draft soon, all right? So thanks. Sounds Bob. good. Appreciate it. All right, that's a good pod. Kind of out of nowhere. Didn't think it was going to be good when I went to bed last night. I'll tell you that right now. All right. You can check out all the stuff, the SVP and Rosillo podcast. Make sure you check that out. Our first episode dropped this week. The next plan was next month, but I'm coming back to Connecticut for the draft, so I'll probably tape something with him there because we might just do it, keep the content rolling. I told the worst year of my life story with Bill Simmons, 2002. It's uh, It's kind of taken on a life of its own. 
it's good that it's 17 years ago because then I listen to it over. I go, all right, you know, if I had a hard time moving on from that year, 17 years later, that would say more about me. And, uh, you know, we can get to some other years in our great too. If we want to do that podcast, make sure you check out the low post. He has Doris Burke on the most recent episode. I'll see all those people up at Oracle. Uh, good stuff for him. Feet on the ground type of Zach Lowe podcast stuff. So tough to compete with that. And, I also had a dual threat out on the ringer talking about football contracts and some other stuff. And, uh, so there you go. That's, that's all the stuff. Big week, big content week, huge. And I'm headed to San Francisco slash Oakland. So Rudy, have a great weekend. You too, dude.